0: Hey, thank you so much for joining with us wherever you are and whomever you are with uh, as we continue in our series, RSVP, because all creation requests the honor of your love. Before we get into our message today, I just want to remind everyone that next week is our first last Sunday. I know that's a creative name for the last Sunday of a month, but it's what we came up with. Every last Sunday in our community group season, we're going to have an abbreviated message. So we're challenging the church to read the scriptures for themselves that week leading up to this Sunday. Uh, spend some time in prayer. Meditate on what these words are. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, the first portion of that fourth verse. Love is patient and kind. I know it's not a long passage, so we can all, uh, we're all able to read that over a few times over the course of the week. But again, pray through it. Meditate on it. What does that mean? Let God speak to you uh, about that. Now, as is our uh, occasion here, we're going to go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 13 in our community group. So go ahead and read that now. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in this season. We thank you for the word of God that is indeed living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. We ask that you just take this time as we yield our hearts and our minds. And uh, we ask that you mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. Make us able to deliver the love that the world so desperately needs, that you have first and foremost given to us, that we can then give to others. We love you. We honor you and ask you to speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Hey, last week we discussed the if-then nature with which the Apostle Paul launches into this familiar passage. The simple notion that love has massive implications on our lives lived out, how the world works and what grows, so to speak, in our fields. We spoke on verses 1 through 3. I'll just read them again. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We talked about how the absence of love, despite what we say, Uh, the words that we use, despite what we know and believe, despite what we do, even if all of those investments are good and wonderful and true, if we don't have love, if love is absent, then the result, according to the scriptures, are distraction, lacking influence and emptiness. I suggested last week that just our end results justify the means way of the world should guide us to go with love. We don't want an end result of distraction. We don't want an end result of nothingness. And yet we seemingly don't do that as shown by how easily distracted we are, how rarely influential we are, and too often how empty life is or stretches of it. I know that's painful to admit, and I don't mean to be pessimistic. I'm just desperately wanting something different than what I see in others' lives and what I experience myself. We, we talked about how the scriptures don't dictate that what we say, know or believe or do, doesn't matter, but it seems to say that love matters more. And here's the thing. Last week, whether you realize it or not, we never even talked about love. <laughs> So this morning, if you're taking notes, this conversation today that we're entering into is entitled, What Are We Talking About Again? The next few weeks will be spent unpacking the the check boxes of Paul. Love is this, love isn't that. So I wanted, before we got into those, to survey the broader landscape of love a little bit. To be fair, (laughs) love is a paradox, my wife and I always joke, we love each other, and we also really love tacos. <laughs> I love these new Barefoot Technology shoes I'm wearing, and I love my kids. <laughs> it seems to me that there's a bit of oddity with those ovations. Now, love is a broad subject, and I want to deliver a few books that I think would be beneficial for you to invest. I sketching Out Scriptural Love, uh, Love Does by Bob Goff. The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, The Zim Zim of Love by Rob and Kristen Bell, and Loveology by John Mark Comer. None of those books are perfect, but they can help give some bones to the flesh and blood of this vital dynamic we know as love. Of course, we also suggest a, a long, intentional look into the scriptures, too beyond scientific data, checkboxing, learning versus kind of reading, which there's nothing wrong with that, but we also invite people to thematic, rhythmic, textured, what is woven throughout, finding essence kind of reading in the scriptures. And when we do that, when we allow the scriptures to read us and our actions, we'll find four different words translated into the love of our common language. I know that in our community group last week and in others as well, we read other versions, the message or the King James, and oftentimes love in the King James is a bit surprising because it's translated as charity. 1 Corinthians 13 uses only one of these four loves that we're going to discuss today. This is not to say that the other three are unimportant, they just have their place. It's like looking at an offensive lineman as we're in the throes of the NFL playoffs and being frustrated that he's not situated or fit like, athletic like a running back. The offensive lineman has their place on the offensive line. You don't want your running back playing left tackle, and you don't want your left tackle playing the running back position. These loves have their place and they have their space. It makes me remember a quotation by Albert Einstein. He says, Everybody's a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. And if we misappropriate love and these different kinds of love in the wrong places, in the wrong spaces, we'll feel like love doesn't fit. We'll feel like love doesn't work. We'll feel like love is actually destructive and we'll try to avoid certain relationships and certain circumstances. So it's important to understand what these loves mean are. I'm not going to be maligning our social media-driven, shallow understanding or usage of words and language. I'll just leave that there. I don't have near enough time to do that anyway. Instead, I'll be working to unpack these four words and phrases used by the scriptures and knocking on the holiness and the usefulness of each. The four words that we're going to be looking at are storgi, phileo, eros, and agape. Storgy, this is a naturally obligatory love. It it speaks of a very present affection that is the ordinary movement of one being for another. Think from a parent to a child. Think of uh, from a human to their pet. I wish I could say from a spouse to a spouse, from a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband, but just the statistics of what's going on in our society, both in and outside of the church, doesn't constitute that same storgy affection because that can so easily unfortunately be removed I wish also I could say that it was the casual love of human to human that brotherly sisterly affection of brotherhood essence and sisterhood essence but again we don't enjoy that type of interaction by and large the texture of this love is stable though shallow in depth it's strong simply because it is One version of that or one example of this word is in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. That's the word there, heartless, storgialess unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And we see that love being placed in that really well-known passage. The second type of love is phileo, a companionable love. It speaks of relational affection, fondness, and liking. It speaks of friendship. This is where Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, gets its name. It's a love called out of one's soul as a response to the pleasure it takes in another person or even in an object. The texture of this love, Phileo, is responsive. Responsive to kindness, responsive to appreciation, responsive to mutuality. But when it is strained, greatly strained, it can collapse in a crisis. These friendships that might just dissipate or become deconstructed. It's used in John chapter 11 as Jesus is going to meet his friend who has passed, Lazarus. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her as well weeping, Excuse me, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept, verse 36. So the Jews said, See how he loved him, of a brotherly affection, the ability to care for and deeply be moved. We see this as well in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, which is your children's memory verse for this month. Love one another, phileo one another, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The third type of love is eros. Eros is a love of intimate passion. It's an overmastering affection that seizes and absorbs itself into the mind. It's where we get the word erotic. It's a love that is an emotional involvement based purely on body chemistry. The texture of this love is grounded in self-satisfaction. It's intimate, it's powerful, but it's weak. It was never meant to stand alone. It's never meant to be the forefront of a relationship. In the same way that toothpicks don't make strong foundations for a home, eros is not meant for the basis of a relationship. Eros is like color on the walls. It's a decorative candle in a living room. And I want to spend a little bit more time here because I think we have a misappropriation by and large in our culture and our society for the Eros type of love. The container of this type of love is some characteristic in the other person which pleases you. If the characteristic would cease to exist, the reason for the love would be gone completely. And the result would be, I don't love you anymore. Eros looks for what it can receive If it does give, it gives only in order to receive. If it fails to get what it wants or expects, bitterness and resentment usually follows. This isn't just in illicit relationships, but also the intimate marriage covenantal relationship. When eros is absent, these bitternesses and resentments can creep in, and it's a very natural progression. Eros love is conditional. Now again, this does not mean that Eros is bad or wrong or unhealthy or in any way unholy. In the same way a little salt in a recipe goes a long way, no one wants to eat salt soup. Eros-driven relationships aren't sustainable. Eros isn't referenced once in the New Testament. It's throughout the Song of Solomon and we see it in the words in the, the original language, Dod or Ahava the intimacy of two lovers. And finally, the fourth type of love we see in the scriptures, agape. This is a love derived by the preciousness of the person or object loved. It's a love of esteem, of evaluation, by finding good though completely unearned. It has the idea of prizing without merit. The texture of this love is continuing by Choice It carries through even when the beloved is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, or completely unworthy. Now I want to give a few more moments to this as well because this is the only love that's used in our passage of 1 Corinthians 13. Agape love is the one that follows always with active choice. It is not one of emotion. It is not one of how I feel. It is the noblest word for love in the Greek language. Agape love is not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but it originates in the God given nature of one who is being loved. Agape love delights in giving. Agape love is entirely unconditional and covenantal. In the phrases in 1 John chapter 4, it is this nature that is spoken of when God is described as love. And this word is used over 300 times in the New Testament. Now again, I wanna reiterate, none of these loves, whether we're talking about eros, erotic, storge, phileo, friendship, or agape, none of these love is right. None of these loves is wrong. How we hold them can be healthy and holy, how we hold them can be unhealthy and unholy. Because again, love is a paradox. Love is many things. Love is flowers and a Hallmark card. Love is visiting a spouse who can't remember who you are because they're so racked with Alzheimer's. Love is learning new things. Love is rehearsing the old things. Love is remembering the good times. Love is forgiving the not so good moments. Love holds on with a ferocity that rivals any attachment or protective urge in creation. Love is difficult. Love makes things easy. Love learns to let go. Love remembers to hold on. Love is commitment and follow through. Love is deep and it is shallow. Love is expressed in a few words. Love is shown in the way you live your entire life. Love is tangible. Love is ethereal. Love is simplistic and pure. Love involves the body giving of oneself the greatest of intimacies. Love is making yourself wholly available and serving. Love is also asking, taking, and appreciating. Love is fleeting, love is forever. Love is hard and fast, measurable, attainable. Love is many feelings, countless emotions, all of our senses and our most fleshly desires. Love is truly a paradox as you have conversations in your community groups or wherever you are and whomever you're with. I think it's important to recognize what we're talking about, this love, that God, again, within the series that we have, RSVP, God is inviting us to give what we have to creation. I want to define in particular and walk through, give us a little bit more to talk about And I try to avoid defining words by the words themselves. And we're going to be working through 1 Corinthians 13 for the next nine weeks. So what I want to do is read another passage. If you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4 and read these words of the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he describes in his own gospel, in the gospel of John, and give us a little bit more to talk about. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. It starts off, beloved. Beloved. That word is actually agapatos, from the verb agape, to love. In order to function in a world that needs love, we have to first understand that we are ourselves loved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Agape love does not derive from ourselves, but rather from the Spirit of God, which means we're going to have to dig a bit for this love. We're going to have to reach a bit for this love. We're going to have to find something outside of or rather deep inside of ourselves to be able to deliver it to others. It's not something we can just conjure up based on our own affections. Continuing on, anyone who does not love does not know god because god is love <laughs> it's powerful this reality this this notion that if we're not able to love and again we're not just talking about the storage of a uh, husband or father to child or natural affection or the friendship phileo, we're talking about the agape love. If we are unable to love by choice those around us, the scriptures are challenging the notion that we even know God. And it's not a knowing in the mind like an information, but that word know means is gnosko, which means to have experienced. According to the scriptures, if we find ourselves consistently unable to love, to serve, to actively engage merciful acts towards other people, it shows that we may not have experienced that love from God, that we haven't experienced his affection for us. It carries on. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Agape love looks like Jesus. And when we begin to engage our own thoughts about ourselves, whether they are loving or unloving, or whether we're engaging thoughts about others, we have to ask ourselves the question, we have to pose ourselves the question, where is Jesus in this thought? Does this look like Jesus? Does this sound like Jesus? Because according to the scriptures, Jesus is the personification of not only God, but God who is love. And finally, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Agape love is not one of closeness, but it's one of community, of loving those around us, whoever that may be again, to remind us that the scriptures are continuously challenging us to the neighbor, the neighbor who is unlike us, the neighbor who's next to us. And and who is our neighbor? Those who are presently around us. And so for you right now, it's those sitting in a room in a community group, or maybe it's at your job or around town or whatever it is you're doing or wherever you're going. When you find yourselves near people, those are your neighbors who, according to the scriptures, are deserving of our love. So let me leave you with this benediction as you all go to conversation. May we love as we're led by the spirit of our Christ, appropriating a holy weight to these most holy actions. May the fruit of our love be connection, intimate influence, and fullness. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.